0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, the number one podcast for people who value real, different conversations about business, marketing, and life. And, you know, I, I want to share with you, we've gotten to a point um in the sort of evolution of this oddcast where pretty much every guest we have could be somebody famous. You know, I'm incredibly grateful that um so many uh, amazing people reach out and, and want to come join us. And if you're a regular listener, you know, we have lots of famous authors and thought leaders and athletes and, of course, entrepreneurs and marketers and, and so forth. However, just because somebody's well-known or famous doesn't mean you can have a real life-affirming conversation with them. And so we're always looking for people like that. And this dialogue is a glimpse into a legend whose name you might not know but I do know that you'll love getting to know him. (laughs) Say that 10 times fast. Today our guest is Dr. Sean Peterson. And Dr. Sean has spent about 10 years running an autism clinic. He has a PhD in Applied Behavior Analysis. And he and I connect over our love of people uh, and of children who are differently abled. We talk about autism, uniqueness, human behavior, and more. Dr. Sean is a wonderful guy with a very big heart. He's a husband and a father. And now he and his wife are running a physical therapy clinic. Uh, And you might find fascinating in this uh, this discussion many things. And uh, also listen for the part that uh, we share, how Dr. Sean and I met after he sent me an email. And, um, he told me that he was going to stop listening to uh, listening to this odd cast and uh, we talk about why. Anyway, I, I enjoyed that part. I think you might too. Go to lockhead.com and check out the show notes for this episode. Uh, we'd love it if you subscribe to our absolutely free, uh, awesome-tastic newsletter. We are sponsored, of course, by our dear friends at Oracle uh, NetSuite. They are the number one cloud business system on the planet. And that's because NetSuite offers a full picture of all of your finances in one place, in real time, right from your phone or your desktop. And NetSuite customers grow three times faster than the typical S&P 500 company. To schedule your free demo right now and to receive your free guide, The 7 Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, go to netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different for your free demo and your free guide. My friends at Splunk want to remind you that we're living in the data age, and Splunk brings data to everything, every question, every decision, and every action. Learn how to lead your own digital transformation today at splunk.com slash d2e, as in data to everything. That's splunk.com slash d2e. Also, I'd like to tell you about a podcast that I love, and it's called Unstructured with my friend Eric Hundley. And if you love thoughtful, long-form conversation that's real, then you're going to love Eric and his podcast. Check it out, Unstructured, wherever you get legendary podcasts. All right, now, as Joy Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go.
1: I think people are wonderful in general, but um, working with kids in particular is just, it was amazing. Um, and it, the light that they had in their eyes, uh, the ability to just make me laugh about ridiculous things. Um, I, I loved going in after a bad day, you know, had a bad test or, or a lot of assignments due or whatnot and just needed a break, I'd go in and those kids would just snuggle up into your lap and uh, and loved you for being you and loved you for for playing with them, much like my own kids do today. And uh, and so it was easy to see that they were going to have a more challenged life than I was. And so if there was something that I could do uh, to make their lives a little bit easier, that I was all in on trying to do so.
0: Now, you know, this, of course, is an area I'm fascinated by and, and- it's been a mind blowing honor to have um, Dr. Daryl Trefford on twice yeah. uh, and uh, hopefully he'll come back, but uh, I've developed a you know, tremendous affection for him. Um, and, and so this work and you know, pe- people who have this situation going on um, are fascinating to me for a whole number of reasons. I think neuroplasticity is a, just a mind blowing haha. ha. Uh, kind of idea and something yeah. feels very fresh and new. And uh, it feels like there's a lot of new understanding about it going on all the time. I, I try to, as a layman, somewhat stay up on it. Um, and so I, I can can relate to it that way. Um, you know, what is it, what's, what are the biggest things you've learned about um, about folks with autism?
1: Well, I think that something I, I'm sure Dr. Treffert would would agree with me on is that when you've let, met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, um, and and everybody's unique. Um, follow your different, right? And and so it's really finding that specific piece for each kid, and so from a behavior analyst standpoint, from, from an applied behavior analysis perspective, uh, our goal is really to teach functional replacement behaviors and, and skill acquisition. And so what I mean by that is, there are generally four reasons that anybody does anything. It's access to attention, access to tangible items, escape from unpleasant situations, or some sort of sensory input, what we often terms, term automatic reinforcement. And uh and what happens is f- behavior is functional is is how we look at it, that everything we do has a functional outcome. And so sometimes those behaviors are things hey, Dr. that Shum, I hate to interrupt you, but yeah, go um, ahead. Explain to
0: me like I'm, you know, an eight-year-old with a penchant for whiskey, um w- what exactly you just said means.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. So a good example. Um, you are a a five-year-old little kid and you want a cookie. You have different ways of getting that cookie. You can walk into the kitchen and take one off the counter. That's a functional behavior. Walking to the kitchen, grabbing a cookie is, is functional. Uh, you could turn to your mom and yell from the back room, mom, give me a cookie. May or may not get you a cookie depending upon your household. Uh, you could also walk into the kitchen and tug on mom's shirt and She may hand you a cookie because she's talking with Aunt Sally on the phone. Um, So those are all different behaviors that have the same functional outcome. In this case, we term it a tangible or an item. Um, But behavior is functional in that the same behavior could actually get you different things. So in a different context, uh, tugging on mom's shirt might get mom to bend over and pick you up and play with you. So you've gotten some attention from mom. Um, mom might have just told you to eat your green beans and you pull on her shirt and she doesn't like that for whatever reason and she sends you to your room. Well, you just learned that if I don't want to eat my green beans, I'm going to pull on mom's shirt. Um, and so, again, you've got these four things. You've got access to attention. So could be positive attention um, in the form of good things happening, mom playing with you, mom tickling you. Uh, could be negative attention. And, and negative is not really the term we would actually use. It's um, attention that's um, not not socially appropriate, maybe. Mom yelling, for example. Less desirable, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So mom yelling at you. And what a lot of people think is that we are in a situation where yelling is is not preferred but if you are a kid whose mom or dad isn't paying a lot of attention to you you might in fact uh prefer them to yell at you and so uh, as a behavior analyst we're really trying to find out what is the function why is the behavior occurring and then try to teach an alternative behavior and sometimes that's teaching the child Uh, a lot of times it's teaching mom and dad how to respond so
0: so let me see if I can uh, reverse engineer what you said so that I understand it. Um, so if, if what I think you're saying is is all um, behavior has a function insofar as the person behaving in the way they are is seeking some kind of outcome and somehow they have connected a dot that this behavior gets the outcome that I want. Absolutely. Even if the behavior is like, there's no person who would look at the behavior, including the person behaving this way and go, that's the way anybody should or would even want to behave. You're behaving like an asshole, right? Right.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So is what you're saying, no matter what, the behavior is this dot that we've connected that I behave this way and I get what I want or I get the outcome I'm, I'm looking for.
1: Yeah, and, and we don't always, we can't always verbalize that. So I can't always say that I do this to get this outcome. So you and I uh, had corresponded via email a few weeks back in regard to surfing. So I grew up surfing, uh, love the stoke. Um, obviously a piece there that, that you just love it for the sheer enjoyment of your experience. And so we probably think of that as automatic reinforcement. Um, And even if your buddy's not hooting and hollering when you get a great wave, if you go surfing with friends, there's a social component to that. And you'd really have to tease out the social from that automatic. And it may not be one fully or the other fully. It may be a combination of the two. You may want on a certain day, to surf by yourself for whatever reason. The other days you really want to be social and surfing is the outlet that allows you to be social. Your buddies want to do that. You might rather sit in the sit on the couch and, and pet a chicken and drink some scotch, but uh, like they want to go surf. I, I know you do. And, uh, and they might want to, you know, they might enjoy that, but they'd rather be surfing. And so for you to be able to enjoy that social time, you're going to go surf with them.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And actually, on a side note about that, as you were talking, what I was thinking of is um, my guy friends that I communicate with the most often are the guys I do stuff with, surf, mountain bike, ski, et cetera. Um, And it reminded me of this expression that, um, and I forget who said it, but I think it's a fascinating insight that men have shoulder to shoulder relationships and women have face-to-face relationships. And when women have a face-to-face relationship that can turn into a shoulder to shoulder relationship. And in the case of men, for the most part, they only end up with a face-to-face relationship as a result of doing shoulder to shoulder shit. Sure. I looked at that and went, that is absolutely the case.
1: As a, as a grown man who's moved around a little bit, I I think about the, uh, the friends I've made most consistently. They're almost always the husbands of my wife who, um, who has that face to face with a good friend. And so I'm forced into shoulder to shoulder on the front end. Uh, and then you form a bond or you kick the guy to the curb and you don't hang out with him anymore. One of the two. So, yeah, but
0: it's interesting. I never sort of thought about it in those terms that Every behavior is functional for the person behaving that way in that there's an outcome they're seeking and they're choosing what they think is the most effective behavior um, to get to that outcome, even if the behavior is seems completely (laughs) ridiculous
1: absolutely and it's it's oftentimes it's learned um, and it it can evolve over time so um you know in that example of the kid who who's tugging on mom's shirt when tugging on mom's shirt doesn't work maybe he punches her in the leg and um and that's now effective um it might have started a year earlier as saying mom really politely 15 times um, and that stopped working. So then it went to a shirt tug and now it's hitting mom. Um, and so as a behavior analyst, I don't necessarily need to know the progression or, or what happened before. What I want to get to is a functional behavior, something that is socially acceptable. For, in this case, stopping, looking at mom in the eyes and saying, mom, waiting for a response. Mom saying, yes, son, and then asking for that cookie and and getting it. And if I'm not allowed it because I didn't eat my dinner or whatever it is, being respectful of that and and kind of being taught those social norms to, to understand the expectations.
0: Hey, I think you could make millions of bucks teaching adults this.
1: I, I yeah yeah well we could all use some social <laughs> Sometimes I think sure. you'd
0: make a million bucks teaching me this cuz uh, you know sometimes I'm not proud of my behavior. <laughs>
1: yeah well you know we we all have our moments for sure but uh I, you know it, behavior's functional across the lifespan um so people talk about you know find something you do um you know find find if your job is what you love you'll never work a day in your life kind of idea um the, the reality is you still got to get paid. Um, you go to work to, to get a paycheck and if it's not the paycheck directly, it's the opportunity to buy a house or put food on your table. Um, and so even we talk about secondary reinforcers essentially. So money is a secondary reinforcer. Um, insofar as the money is not the end goal. What money allows you to do is is the end goal. So even as an adult, we're still operating under these contingencies and we are going to maximize our contingencies. So in terms of surfing with your buddies, it's a whole lot better than, um, you know, you, you really enjoy hanging out with the chickens, but on a day that you want some social interaction with adults, with, with human adults uh, surfing with your buddies, is a better alternative. When you need some me time that's quiet and, and alone, you may choose to sit in the garden with the chickens. And, and so it's matching kind of based on your needs at that moment in time.
0: Hmm, fascinating. Now, you know, explain to me like, um, with a fresh set of eyes, with a, with a white belts mentality, um, what is autism?
1: Yeah, so autism is a, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, we, we still have a lot to understand about autism, um, but on the, on the most basic level, it is categorized by repetitive behavior and social deficits. And so a lot of those social deficits come in the form of communication deficits. Um, in particular, being able to communicate basic wants and needs and also being able to interpret the feedback that is given back. Um, so understanding that when mom says no, uh, it may not truly be no. It may be you have to do something else first. You know, you've got to eat your dinner before you get that cookie or that cake. Um, and so learning how to properly process through some of those challenges Um
0: So social norms, communication norms, um, these are, for one reason or another, um, switches that aren't on
1: as bright as they they otherwise might be, or how should I think about that? I I think that's a fair way to kind of consider it, and it, it varies for every kid. So some children are super, super intelligent um generally we would have thought historically them to be on uh the asperger's side of the autism scale um sometimes described as high functioning autism although that's not a real clinical diagnosis um but kids who really they they have the communication ability but maybe aren't able to interpret it, interpret social norms so when somebody's smiling versus somebody frowning they may not pick up that the person frowning doesn't want to have a conversation with them anymore on the other end of the spectrum, you do have individuals with intellectual disabilities, what historically would have been known as mental retardation. Um, and and so a very clinical diagnosis where their intellectual level is not at where their peers might be. And so they may have challenges just in learning. And so then you have to meet those kids at their level um, and really identify. So
0: Dr. Sean, I hate to interrupt you, but I want yeah. to make sure it's clear um, for me anyway. So. Um, there are case, so there's a spectrum. Absolutely. On one side of the spectrum, there's somebody with these um, uh, the the switches or the bright the brightness of their ability in areas of uh, communication, social understanding, uh, recognizing you know smiles and frowns and things are are not not what it would be in, in somebody else. And then there's also part of it where there's some kind of uh, developmental problem in addition to that. So they have both things going on, or is it another thing? Or help me understand sort of the the distinction between the two examples you're giving.
1: Yeah, it's. So the, the challenge is with the spectrum, it, it, it's multiple components. It's not one or the other. And so each individual kid may have some switches that are higher in one area and some switches that are lower in another. Um, kids who are considered on the lower end of the spectrum, again, not a, not a clinical description, but... Um, might have more of those switches that are flipped off or that are lower than they otherwise would be, where kids on the the higher end may have fewer, but they may still have very large deficits in one or two areas that are, are make their social interactions that much more challenging.
0: But So you could have, in some cases, a, a, a person or a child who was, as you described it, um, uh, had a high intelligence level. Mm-hmm. And but their primary things that they were grappling with were more the communication and social and so forth. Exactly. So, but then in addition to that, you could have somebody who was uh, you know developmentally. I mean, I don't even know what to call them anymore. When you have intellectual them, uh, an intellectual disability, intellectual an inter- disability is the word you'd use.
1: Yeah, I, ID is is IDD or intellectual and developmental disability um, is is the technical term. And and in the case of somebody again who historically would have been treated as uh, a diagnosis of mental retardation would be under the category of intellectual disability.
0: Intellectual disability, and so you could have both things going on: the intellectual disability and this communication ability to kind of read social situations. Exactly. And so I would imagine for a child who has both things going on, um, that's gotta be a steeper mountain to climb.
1: It, it absolutely is. That's definitely the, the area that the child's going to, to likely have a larger, larger challenges throughout the lifespan. Um, it's, it, the tough part right now is, is we don't know how to differentiate. Um, I suspect that down the road we are going to do a better job of differentiating between the different areas, and that may be a situation where we have um, maybe multiple diagnoses. So maybe not everything is autism, or maybe there are different such, gradations. There may be subcategories. <laughs> I, I, I think that's. I think that's yeah. a good way of phrasing it for sure. Um, well, particularly
0: and it, if there's patterns, right? Like if, absolutely. If there, so if there's a certain percentage that we discover that are have these sorts of things going on and some percentage that, you know, and you can identify patterns, then frankly, I would imagine, I don't know, I'm no doctor, I got thrown out of school, but I would imagine the more granular we can be and in distinguish these things out, if there is, you know, multiple, if there is a pattern to be seen here, um, we get more effective in
1: being able to treat individuals Right, um, you're, hit, you're hitting the nail on the head there. I think that's a, an area that we still lack um, really good understanding. And so, from a from a behavior analysis standpoint, we are treating individuals. So traditional psychology um, kind of generally looks at large groups and, and means, and, whereas behavior analysis really targets individuals and their needs and their treatment. And so, in that regard, I. I would love to see somebody kind of put together um, a model that allows us to collect data across a larger subset of individuals uh, where we do some AI or machine learning. That's not my area of expertise for sure, but where we can really start to delve into these characteristics Kiddo X learns better this way. Kiddo Y learns better this way. And so when kiddo Z shows up, we can put them into the box. They're closer to kiddo X. Let's try these things first. They're not closer to kiddo Y. These are the backup options for this guy.
0: Right. Like if I think about understanding personality, maybe this is a simplistic analogy, but it's what it's in my head, right? Many of us have done a Myers-Briggs. Sure. Right. And how
1: many letters is ENTJ? So it's four letters. I think that's right. That's the Myers Briggs, the personality stuff is not my forte for sure. It's not mine either, but but it is
0: an interesting um, it is interesting because they take these four dynamics and you can swizzle them around anyway. And it gives us a framework to be at least understand, oh, well, if you're an I and I'm an E, we know something about each other, right? And you know, right. so I'm all I'm saying is I do think um things get more things get more um, understandable. When we granularize them, when we atomize them,
1: I, I absolutely agree, and I think that I think we're continuing to work there. So, uh, you know, it's 2019. You and I are having this conversation on a podcast that you know potentially people are going to listen to you down the road. Um, Twenty years For ago, millions of years, maybe, maybe, right, right. <laughs> Who it's knows? Be, maybe th- th- off interesting in things. You know, the interesting
0: thing about podcasts, of course, they haven't been around that long, but they they will be just like
1: newspapers are. Or radio recordings they will be time capsules for sure absolutely and and in that regard 20 years ago you and i wouldn't have been having this conversation about autism right it wasn't on people's radar uh, let alone 30 or 40 years ago uh, to have have a conversation on this on this scale we now have parents who at least have heard of autism, they may not know the details, they may not know what to look for in their own child, uh, but they may have a friend uh, or they've heard a podcast or seen a, a television special. Um, and so people are at least learning enough to ask the questions of their physicians to to get a diagnosis and ultimately seek out treatment if that's what's necessary.
0: So here's a question I've been dying to ask you. Yeah. Whether it's somebody with autism or not, frankly, but I, I got to believe it's, it's often a harder, a harder uh, hill to climb with somebody with autism. How do you teach somebody to change their behavior?
1: Yeah, so we generally look at, at two, different, um, two different opportunities. So we talk about one is reinforcement and kind of the, the flip side of the coin is punishment. Um, So reinforcement is that situation where we increase a behavior based on an outcome. So back to our little kid example, pulls on mom's shirt, gets a cookie. So the outcome or the reinforcer is access to that cookie. So When we're teaching kids with autism, we we may use edibles. Um, That's not necessarily our go-to, but we are really trying to promote social interaction. So they may really enjoy playing with trains, for example, and that's that's a pretty common one. Um, and so if you're trying to teach different colors, maybe they get access to the red train when they've identified red, they get access to the blue train when they've identified blue. And so pairing those preferred outcomes so that you can teach novel skills. Um, Sometimes it's done in a format that we call discrete trial instruction. Um, and that can kind of be a drilling format in some ways in that it's a lot of repetition to, to get the number of opportunities. Um, But the ideal is that we transition from that discrete trial tabletop work into a more socially interactive situation or setting.
0: So I just want to make sure I got the first part right. So there's essentially, and again, no duh, but, but interesting to be explicit, there's we reinforce what we like and we punish what we don't like.
1: Yeah. And we can, we can do that. We can do both of these in two different ways. So, um, tasing aloud, tasing, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a pretty controversial topic. There are actually <laughs> clinics that do, um, they're you know, really... one of my,
0: it's totally inappropriate today, but one of my favorite Ramones songs is the, the, the lyric in the chorus is beat on the brat with
1: brat, a yes. ball
0: bat. Oh yeah. yes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, not allowed in the clinic. setting. So I'm so be very clear. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, nope, nope, not any, not anything happening in our clinic. Uh, for
0: not, sure. frowned upon, I guess.
1: Definitely frowned upon, both as uh, from an ethical standpoint in our uh, our certification body, as well as parents and the legal system. I, frankly, I
0: was just thinking more about some of the children in my life. I wasn't thinking about this necessarily. The children. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I've got three kids. I, uh, you know. We, we have to throw them in time out here and there, but, um, yeah, so uh, there are two ways that we can reinforce. We can actually increase a behavior by adding something to the situation, but we can also take something away. So Carrie, your wife, I know you talk a lot about how amazing a cook she is. Um, she cooks you your favorite meal. But generally, she does the dishes. I don't know that that's actually true. But if she were to generally do the dishes, she cooks you your favorite meal, you take care of all of the dishes, you've taken that task away from her. Um, And so we actually call that negative reinforcement, where you've removed a chore or removed something that she had to do to increase the likelihood that next week you get your favorite meal again. You can also positively- I didn't know rein- you'd be giving me marriage counseling, but I, I like it, Dr. Sean. Keep going. There you go, yeah. <laughs> the, the alternative is positive reinforcement where we add something to the situation. And so this would be, she cooks your favorite meal and you bring home flowers or her favorite chocolate or a bottle of wine. So you're adding something to the situation. Um, again, in both cases, trying to increase that behavior. Um, you leave your stinky- So I
0: respond in a way- that yeah. uh, acknowledges uh, this wonderful thing she's done and either um, add something that I hope she'll like or remove something that she doesn't like which will make her happy. But wh- exactly. how, whichever mo- move I make, I'm, I'm making a move called uh, expressing gratitude and at least in part, hoping that you'll do it again.
1: <laughs> exactly, that's exactly it. It's reinforcement, and a lot of times it's as simple as um, as simple as praise um, and and social interaction um, on that positive reinforcement side. So, uh, a lot of this work is based in stuff that uh, Dr. Gottman, uh, the Gottmans, did. Um, but essentially the recommendation is that for every demand that you place on somebody, and that can be a question uh, that could be asking them to take out the trash. That could be anything. And and certainly the bigger, the task, the the more you have to reinforce, but essentially the recommendation is somewhere around four or five reinforcing situations for every one demand that you place on somebody. And
0: so she should thank me four times for taking out the
1: garbage. Is that, (laughs) or you should take out the garbage four times because she made you dinner. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I take out the garbage every week, but um, there's not a question in my household who's contributing and who's really, you know, barely, barely additive. <laughs> I, I suspect that we're both in that same boat, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm not confused. That, that's why when she says, uh, rub my feet, and I, you know, and I don't know what it is, Dr. Sean, about women, but women know the exact moment that a man is fully chilling his nuts, right? You, like you did all this stuff, you got it at the end of the day, maybe there's a thing you wanted to watch or something you wanted to read, maybe you got your beer, and you 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 put your foot up on the couch and you turn the TV on or whatever it is, and then that moment, that's when they need you to do something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Time for the dishes to get done now. Yeah, but you know,
0: I rubber feet, what am I gonna do?
1: I I rubber feet. Right? Yeah. Got to get up and take care of it for sure.
0: Well, yeah. That's the first thing you learn is that Jeff
1: Foxworthy joke. What's that one? He's not happy. You're not happy. happy. Yep. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's for sure. Nobody happy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I want to ask you maybe get selfish a little bit. Yeah. If I want to change a behavior of my own, does the reinforcement punishment paradigm apply?
1: Absolutely can um, you have to be strict with it and so I think the general recommendation would be to have a partner for accountability sake so um, You want to make sure you're working out three times a week one would probably be to get somebody who's Socially there who's holding you account uh, in that regard, but also setting up whatever the outcome is That somebody else has control over it because it's a whole lot easier for you to say at the end of the day yeah I didn't go to the gym, but I still want a beer, so I'm going to drink it regardless. Um, if Carrie holds the keys to the uh, to the fridge and she knows you didn't go to the gym, it's going to be a whole lot harder to get that beer. So um, you may still be able to access it at the, uh, the local convenience store, but uh, it's going to take you a little bit can do it on the fly. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, a big piece of it is, is taking data. So that is really what differentiates uh, behavior analysis in a lot of ways is identifying kind of your baseline level, what you're currently doing and, and setting a reasonable goal for where you want to get to. So um, it's not unlike kind of um, f- for us with treatment in, in terms of what we might do with a kid on the spectrum is uh, almost like an A-B test in marketing where we might provide two different treatments to learn two very similar things. So if I'm teaching a a child colors, for example, I might teach red in one format and I might teach blue in a different format. And by identifying which one the child learned faster, when I go to teach purple, green, orange, yellow, I'm going to use the information I got from from the test of, of blue and red on the front end.
0: Hmm. And so all these learnings, how do you think, what do they tell us about the brain? What do they tell us about human beings, either autistic or not?
1: Yeah, so I, I think they tell us that everybody is responding to the world around them and the contingencies that, that are placed upon them. Um, and so from a behavior analytic standpoint, I think there are much larger world problems that can be tackled. Um, it's not my area of expertise, but there are definitely people out there working in recycling, um, in reducing smoking, um, even prison reform is an area that is of consideration for a behavior analyst. Um, if we think of prison, hey, at-
0: we send a bunch of behavioral analysts to Washington. Has anybody thought of that?
1: I, I think we're, uh, we're a relatively young field, but I, I think we're really growing. And maybe uh, you
0: could just say, Hey, could, could we all learn to be human beings
1: that would be amazing, right? If we all had uh, had a little bit more empathy and, and a little bit more understanding for sure for the other person's side and the other person's perspective. At least
0: can we have some honor amongst thieves.
1: <laughs> that would be a great starting spot, right? <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, being able to being able to reinforce, uh, you know, the behavior of of one another by uh, a little bit of compromise would probably go a long way. Just like we were talking about with getting your favorite meal, um, a little bit of compromise by recognizing the other person's perspective and and trying to meet in the middle uh, would certainly be a reasonable perspective for a behavior analyst to take. And and from a neuroplasticity standpoint, uh, there are some. Um, neurobehaviorists uh, it's not my area of expertise um, you dabbled a little bit in neuroscience as a, as a younger man uh, but it's it's not the area that I, I've spent the last decade or so focused on and so um, I think others could better speak to it but certainly we know that with repetition and with opportunities we are likely to have better outcomes
0: and so when you say opportunities what you mean is the more I swing this bat at this ball the more likely I become at actually hitting the ball and then the more likely
1: I become at hitting the ball where I want it to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And each time you hit the ball, you get that feedback. So in this case, uh, that's reinforcing, right? Whether, Whether you ground out or you hit it foul, at least you've made some contact. And then it allows you to, at that point, tweak things. Um, and, and so maybe next time you swing lower or you swing higher, uh, or you swing with a slightly faster velocity. Um, but you start to make tweaks to, to what you do and the outcome dictates what you should do going forward.
0: That's interesting. Uh, this, you, I think the phrase you used was physical feedback about the bat.
1: Yeah, so I, I think manual or physical feedback would be kind of a, yeah. an appropriate description. So you made
0: me think about surfing because I surfed today, and um, there is absolutely something extraordinary about the to use the phrase physical feedback uh, from the 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 wave through the board to your feet and body. Yep. And the other thing that makes surfing incredible is it's a transference of energy that's a sort of a, a fascinating thing to think about because, of course, you see the wave coming. You're stationary. You're actually not in the position to catch the wave. You have to yeah, actually turn around 180, right? Yep. Then you're start, starting to paddle. You can't obviously see behind your head, but you know there's this energy moving in the water coming towards you, and you can sort of look over your shoulder. And if you've surfed for a while, you have a sense for when you see it when it's likely to come. And anyway, so there's the reading of that. And then there's, and you're paddling, you goes from stationary to paddling. So the the fascinating thing here is to me, you, you have to generate energy. And in general, of course, the rule is you want to be going about as fast as the wave when the wave picks you up plus or minus, right? Not always needs to be true, but, um, but there's what you're doing is you generate energy to capture the energy of the wave, and and then the energy, I know this sounds way too corny, connects and then you're off, but the whole thing
1: is physical feedback required. Well, so I think you probably have a couple of things going on. So you've got some visual feedback for sure. Um, so this, my wife's a PT, uh, we deal in a lot in balance, uh, rehabilitation in our current clinic and uh, so there's three things that kind of play into balance your vision your inner ear and what's known as your proprioceptive system and and i think what you're talking about is kind of a combination of those three pieces in taking off in the wave you get to see where the board is you get to see the people around you um And so you may not be looking behind you anymore, but you have some visual landmarks. You're coming closer to the beach, right? There's that beach umbrella um, up in front of you there or a rock that you know, and, and so you're looking at that and you know that you're getting closer. Um, your inner ear works kind of like your smartphone, your vestibular system does, where if you move your smartphone, the picture moves with you, your inner ear tells your body that it's moving. And so that's going to give you some feedback that, Hey, I'm moving faster than I was 30 seconds ago when I was facing out. And then your somatosensory system, I think, is really more at play probably when you, somatosensory proprioceptive system is really more at play probably as you're you're actually taking off on the wave fully, um, giving you feedback on how to adjust your feet, on making any sort of turns or carves, um, and and being able to properly adjust at that point. And that moves through your feet, into your knees, uh, into your hips, and into your core, uh, providing that that mechanical feedback or that um, that physical feedback kind of that we've been talking about.
0: Yeah, and of course it all happens so fast. Absolutely, and, I and mean, it, a long wave is fifteen seconds. An extraordinary right. wave is thirty seconds. Like yep. thirty seconds on a wave, I mean, you know, you grew up yeah. surfing. Yep, it feels like. I mean, it you pop a top like, and
1: drink a beer at that point
0: yeah like you, you you're thinking about you could think about other shit if you want you're like i absolutely I, when am i gotta call that guy or whatever you're on the way forever
1: <laughs> right right yeah you almost you, you get so in tune that you almost get out of tune right you're you've lost the the stoke at, at 28 seconds you're like man i am i've got other things to do now so yeah
0: yeah and so the amount of data uh and the amount of uh uh, you know, you just think about the amount of IOT sensors you got going off. <laughs>
1: Gosh. Well, and that's it. I mean, your body is, it has so much more biofeedback that if you just listen and, and take a moment, I think that's, um, I'm no expert in mindfulness, but I think that's a lot of where some of the mindfulness stuff is coming to is taking a second to just kind of listen to what's going on in your world. And, uh, and so you've got feedback, um, you know, maybe, Maybe one day we'll get to surfboards that uh, that tell you how to move your feet so that you can catch the best wave or, or ride the wave the best that you can. But uh, to a certain extent, that might also take away from the, the I'm experience. Old school.
0: That sounds terrible to me. <laughs> I,
1: yeah, no, I get it. I get it for sure. So uh, now, when, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think to your to your earlier point about you know not seeing the wave, I suspect that somebody like Kelly Slater, you could probably put a blindfold on that dude and he could pick up pretty much every wave just based on, on the feel. Uh, oh, he or he I? has
0: superpowers. Uh, he, he absolutely I does. I know what they used to call it. I think they might have had a name for it, but other surfers, many other surfers in competition against Kelly would bitch that he would sit behind them or to the side of them and they could feel his eyes on their head and it would freak them out because they knew Kelly was looking at them. That's how intimidating that guy, you know, that guy is Michael Jordan, right? Uh, He's not
1: Michael Jordan. He's Kelly Slater. I mean, yeah, no, but I I mean, in terms of the intimidation factor, right? Uh, Mike Tyson maybe is a better example, right? Like
0: that kind of, I mean, not as much now, of course, but um, anyway, so, hey, I wanted to switch gears and I've been also dying to ask you this. Um, Do you remember how long ago it was you sent me the first, your first email?
1: i was still in Iowa, uh, year and a half. Yeah. That would have been my guess. Probably. Yeah.
0: And, um, I know what it felt like on my end, but I'm dying to ask you, what did it feel like on, on your end, the whole interaction and, you know, break it down for me if you could.
1: Yeah. So I, I had, I had probably been listening to podcasts for about six or eight months at that point had transitioned from kind of some behavior analytic content to thinking about starting my own clinic. Um, as a, as a for-profit clinic, uh, and had found Joe Sanok, who is, who turned me on to you. And, uh, and so started listening, um, to legends and losers and loved the content. But to our, our discussion earlier about, um, intellectual and developmental disabilities, uh, mental retardation is, is a formal diagnosis. that's no longer used. Um, the word retarded has really become a word that is something that, um uh, that, that hits home as a, a word like queer or faggot uh, that I just wouldn't use in normal conversation. It's not appropriate, um, and and so I I don't use the word retarded uh, to describe things I don't like or that are, are bothersome, which I think is generally how it's how it's used um, colloquially. And and you were using it and. It, it was one of those things that took me out of the opportunity to be a fly on the wall. Um, I love the conversational format of of follow your different and, and legends and losers. I loved being a fly on the wall, but as soon as I heard that word, it took me out and, and made it harder for me to absorb what was going on. And so, um, I made the decision that I couldn't support um, a podcast that I really loved going forward if that was going to be a part of it. And and I wanted you to know uh, that you were going to lose a listener over it. And um, and so I, I, I wrote the email, not really expecting Christopher Lockhead to, to respond in any way, shape or form, right? It's uh, Black Hole at Legends and Losers, I think, is where I actually sent the email. I, I figured it was going to a black hole. It was never coming back. So, but... <laughs> You you know, you responded and you responded in a really respectful way. And, and to be honest, that is more than I ever expected. Um, but absolutely the response that you and I, as, as our relationship has grown over the last year and a half or so, um, you know, you're really, you, you dog on yourself a lot for your education, but you're a smart guy and, uh, and you're really insightful and I appreciate your ability to take a step back. Um, I, I stole your, uh, I, I'm going to butcher how you say it, but uh, how do you know you have a mind if you haven't, haven't changed it recently? I yeah. used that a couple of days ago. I think yeah. that's just really insightful to step back and, and take the opportunity to look at somebody else's perspective. And and you did that for me.
0: Well, and, and I want to thank you because I didn't think about it. Obviously that's not how I meant it. I, and I would never, I mean, I think you understood that. I think absolutely understand that. Um, and look, had I heard that there was a shift in the way people were using the word, so I wasn't completely ignorant of that, you know, it was it had a little more of a zing to it, if I could put it that way, than, sure. than, than it, it did when I was three years, or, or, you know, eight years old, and the third baseman dropped the ball, and you called them that, right? Right. So, but... All that said, you know, I I, I didn't know, I knew it wasn't great, but I had no idea that it had gotten to, you know, where you told me it was.
1: Yeah, and and I, I absolutely appreciate that perspective. I've had plenty of conversations um, over the years. Uh, it's it's gotten to the point where my dad um, understands what it means now, and he'll have conversations with family and friends. Um, I, you know, I'll go home and, and see somebody I haven't seen in a while, and they will use the word, and my dad will be like, "I got this." Like he'll correct them, and. And the perspective goes back to that time uh, at, at Kinder Frogs when I was in college working with kids with Down syndrome. Um, I, I think the the single most impactful story I had. So I was TCU's mascot and had the opportunity to bring a group of these little Kinder Frogs kids out on the field during a football game. And uh, I was standing there talking with a little girl's mom. Um, last name is Smith. I cannot re- cannot remember her first name for the life of me right now, but was talking with Mrs. Smith and um, she brought up that when she was pregnant, uh, they knew she was going to have a little girl with Down syndrome and the only recommendation that she got was to have an abortion. And I'm not going to get political on on anybody's perspective on abortion, but here's this little girl, me as a 20, 21-year-old kid, I absolutely adored, would have done anything for this little girl, for her family, and in fact, ended up taking her to uh, a really formal dinner that my fraternity put on every year. Uh, She was my date later that year. Loved this little girl, so to think that her she wasn't going to be part of, of my life uh, or potentially wouldn't have been was absolutely devastating. And so that perspective of, you know, somebody who has this intellectual disability, who's going to have some struggles for sure uh, might be considered less than uh, in any way, shape or form absolutely infuriated me. Um, and so I don't use that word and, and I want other people to know uh, the impact that it's had on my life and, and led me to where I am today.
0: Well, I think that's awesome. I'm stoked you whacked me. Um, uh, I've tried to do better. Um, I, I actually, I don't think I say that word anymore. Um, I, I certainly haven't heard it. I'd call you out for sure. No, uh, I, I, it's it's look, there might be a slip every once in a while. I'm not perfect, but I, I, it is it is fairly frontal lobe for me now. Like no, no, sure. we're, we're done with that. And the aha for me was, you know, because I think you know me well enough to know there's a big part of me that doesn't give a fuck. Right? Sure. Um, sure. And there's, there's also a big part of me that says there's nobody that's going to tell me what I can, and can't do or say, sure. right? That's Absolutely. Sort of where I start. The thing that's dramatically different for me uh, on this is look, if you don't like the F word or shit or, you know, those sorts of swear words that I use, the, the reality is we're probably not going to be friends. Right. And Absolutely. I have dear friends who don't swear at all, who generally don't love it, but they I get a hall pass. I don't know how, but I do. And my wife is the same as me. And we have a couple friends who are, you know, either conservative and socially or religious or, you know, sure. pastors and shit. <laughs> I said that on purpose, you know, and, 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 and they got a lot of room and a lot of love and they accept it. Right. Absolutely. Um, that's one thing. And so if you don't like that, I, I can't help you. Um, but on this one, I thought, you know what? Dr. Sean's absolutely right. Because um, even though I don't mean it that way, it hurts a group of people. And I don't want to hurt any group of people.
1: Right. And and that's where fuck or shit or damn it aren't, aren't things that are hurting anybody. You know, yes, somebody may not like it. Um, but in terms of, of, offending somebody, you can offend somebody with anything, but, but it's hurtful. And I think that that's the nail on the head. And you and I have had the conversation a little bit in regard to dyslexia. Um, and I loved the, the recent episode on dyslexia being a superpower. Um, I, I think absolutely. Um, you know, my perspective on, on disability is, is different ability. Um, we all have different abilities. Um, I am 6'3", 215 pounds. I might look like a linebacker, but I'm not playing in the NFL, that's for sure. Um, I'm never going to run a two-hour marathon either. Uh, but if you want a kid with autism to, to get some help or, or um, you know, take my kid fishing, you know, those are things that I am, am great at. Um and uh, those are the things that I love doing. And and so each person's individual ability uh really allows them to to set themselves apart and and find what is unique to them and, and their skill set.
0: I love all that. Bless you. Um thank you. The other thing that's in my mind is um so the more we can all educate each other about this stuff. And this to me is not political correctness. I hate that shit. I hate that. Yeah. People- absolutely not. It's, not. it's not this, right? And, and and I'm capable of conflating the two. And you you educated me, right? This is not that. We're all we're all capable of growth and learning. And um I think that that um there is some of this, I'll call the there is some of these new sensitivities that are very, very powerful. We don't call the people who live on the street winos and bums anymore. Right. It's derogatory. If these people are less well off than us, we should, we should have some fucking empathy for them. And by, by doing a category redesign from that homeless person, we language matters. Right. Absolutely. And so, so that, that, that I think was a very cool thing you did. And, Here's my memory. You wrote the email very clearly and very firmly. Like you were not happy and you wanted me to be clear about it. And so it was strong and firm and clear. But what it wasn't was you, you weren't attacking me. And no. you did it in a way that was firm enough to whack me in the head. And I deserved the whack. And a guy like me needs a good whack to. to <laughs> hear you right sometimes for sure um but the thing you did that was masterful dr sean was you also in all that you left me room you didn't bury me in some corner that i couldn't then get out of you kept the door open for me if i chose to walk through i didn't have to open the door the door was still there
1: I don't, I don't know if I'm always as masterful, but I certainly thought about that email for, for a long period before I finally sat down and wrote it. Uh, because again, I, I loved what you were doing, I love entrepreneurship. Um, and, and so it was something that I, I loved. I was training for my second marathon, uh, was listening, and, and really enjoyed the podcast. I could go listen to an episode, uh, get something really great out of it while also running. And so for me, it was one of those, man, I love this thing, but it's, it's really hurting my heart to do it. And, and so... You know, if I'm going to continue, things have to change, and I don't know if I can affect change. Uh, fortunately, you were open to it, and we were able to have a conversation. and And um, and I think you've been true to your word in in every way, shape, or form, uh, open and willing to have that dialogue and and learn from me, and um, and I, I'm sure learn from others as well. And it was just a, it was an awesome awesome thing for me to to get that opportunity.
0: Well, thank you. The other thing that I think is cool is um, you hear a lot about bad behavior on Twitter or the internet or all these horrible things people say to each other on pick your platform and um, all these horrible things that people do on the internet and they treat, they treat people on the internet in ways you'd never treat somebody if they were standing across you or in a coffee shop or wherever. I mean, not a chance, right? But this is what happens. And so the, Cool thing about our relationship is we have a digital relationship. Yep. And we treated each other like human beings. And I deeply respect and love what you do. And I'm stoked you love the podcast. And here we are. And we share surfing. And, and so, so it's this wildly crazy, unpredictable thing. There's there's no other circumstance, you know, it's a random circumstance that we would meet, right? And Absolutely. Because we met digitally and we treated each other in a way that we might had we met each other in person, here we are. Yep,
1: yeah, I, it's one of those things for me, like I, I'm, a, I'm a newly minted small business owner and, uh, and I've got this you know, multi-time billion dollar company CMO, who I had the opportunity to, to learn from and who I've formed a friendship with. Um, and, and I'm able to provide some feedback and, and, you know, as much as I have taken from you, uh, I'm, I'm happy to share the, the little bit of knowledge that I have, uh, have been able to, to pass back along. Well,
0: Dr. Sean, I'm stoked to have you in my life. It's been really, really fun, um, you know, over the last year and a half, and and it's been building to this, been dying to have this conversation with you, uh, for a very, very long time. Um, are there any things you want to touch on as we wrap?
1: No, I uh, I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, this was this was killer for sure. Um, you know, I, I think keep on doing what you're doing, man. It's uh, it's been an amazing opportunity to to be here on the podcast and, and kind of hear from you. And, um, I, I love our friendship growing and, uh, and hopefully it'll keep happening. Uh, no, not a question
0: in my mind. And I'm super stoked, um, for, for you guys and your, uh, your new clinic and your new life and you're flexing your entrepreneurial muscle. Um, what an exciting time. And of course you have, what do you have? 17 children under five? Is that what you got?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Three kids under five. They're, uh, they're keeping mom and dad super busy. So, um, fortunately I've got the, uh, the glue that keeps us together in my amazing wife, Lauren. And, uh, so shout out to her for sure.
0: Well, and please say hi to Lauren for me and, uh, we'll talk soon.
1: Thank you, sir. You have a great one.
0: The legendary doctor all right well there it is um very stoked to have uh, dr sean uh on, on the oddcast and um you know i hope uh, dr sean helped open up your thinking about human behavior and how to appreciate people who are differently abled I, I know he did that for me and i i uh you know i consider dr sean a real gift in my life if you enjoyed this episode you might also like episode number 73 called Why Dyslexia is a Superpower with the legendary uh, Gibby Booth Jasper. And she has a podcast called uh, Dyslexia is a Superpower. And so if this is something you care about, I would also point you to her podcast and episode 73 of Follow Your Different. All right, we would like to thank the legendary Dr. Sean Peterson uh, if you want to check them out today, you can at physical.com. And it's spelled differently because they are different. It's spelled F Y Z or Z I C A L. That's F Y Z I C A L.com. Physical.com. <laughs> Try doing that 10 times fast when you're dyslexic. One Life Fully Live.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check them out. The number one life. FullyLived.org. Is it time to scale you? Why not check out my friends at Bottleneck Virtual Assistants to learn how you can leverage the power of a virtual assistant today at bottleneck.online. That's bottleneck.online. And if you're in Silicon Valley in the B2B space, uh, I would encourage you to visit my friends at Atranet, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T they've been building legendary b2b websites in silicon valley for over 20 years atre.net and uh speaking about beautiful things in this part of the world if uh, you're looking for a wonderful home in santa cruz california uh, check out my friend mike block uh and his real estate team they do an incredible job they focus uh, exclusively on the santa cruz area check out mike b l o c h now do your people think your company is awesome my friends at Socrates are the, le- the leading digital conversation hub, and they want to help you make your company employee awesome. Check out S-O-C-R-A-T-E-S dot A-I. That's Socrates.ai. A-I. And uh, my friends at the Front Row Foundation do amazing things for people facing the potential end of their lives to give them an experience that they will always remember. Check out FrontRowFoundation.org. All right, this oddcast is the sole property of the Lodcast. The, the Lodcast? <laughs> oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that clearly this oddcast gets created in a studio that does contain nuts. We are produced by the legendary Jamie J. and Sarah Knox, edited by Mike D., and show notes by the wonderful Diane Gervasio. Remember to love people who are different. Buy John's crazy socks. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, mum and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Dennis Mullenberg, now former CEO of Boeing. Sorry, Dennis, we just ran out of time for you. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different.